Good morning again, everyone. It is so good to see you. Welcome, Smyrna Campus. We love you guys. We're glad you're with us. Everybody that's connecting with us online today or watching this later, we're glad that you found us there. We are continuing a series today that we started last week called Happy Thanksgiving. And those are separate words, happy and thanks and giving. And what we're looking at in this series is how those things are connected to each other. Having a happy, joyful life is connected to having a thankful, grateful attitude. And having a thankful, grateful attitude provides joy and it allows us to live generously in the sight of giving of ourselves. And that's where we find the greatest joy. And so last week we started by looking at the idea that the, the ability to have a happy Thanksgiving kind of life starts we're learning to trust God completely. If you missed that last week, you could catch it on our website or our uh, YouTube channel there and, and go back and watch that. You can listen to the podcast so that you can follow along with how the series, how these things connect to each other. The whole series centers on a story that Jesus told. If you got your Bibles or pull it up on your smartphone or tablet, it's in Luke chapter 12. There is this parable, this story that Jesus tells in response to a request that someone in the audience makes of Jesus when he's teaching. Luke 12, beginning with verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Keep that, keep that statement in mind throughout this whole series. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. And the reason that needs to be repeated over and over again is because that's just the opposite of what we're getting all the time from our culture, right? We're, we're bombarded with the idea that life does consist in the abundance of our possessions. So it's hard to counter that. And Jesus is telling this story to counter that idea that life consists in the abundance of our possessions. So in verse 16, he told them this parable. The ground of a certain man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you've got plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you've prepared for yourself? This is how it will be for whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. Now understand the distinction. He's not saying it's wrong to store up things for yourself. That's not what he's saying. He's saying it's wrong to do that without at the same time being rich toward God. It's okay to have savings. It's okay to plan for retirement. Those are not bad things. Just don't eliminate that part of your life where you need to be rich toward God in order to accomplish it. So if we learn to trust God, then it frees us up to be able to be more generous and willing to be rich toward God. And so today's message is entitled Living Generously. You remember, may remember I told you about this pastor that was visiting with a poor farmer in his congregation, and he was trying to encourage the farmer to, to be generous and give. And, and he said to the farmer, if you had a horse, would you give it to the Lord? 
And he said, yes, you know I would, Pastor. I, I would certainly do that. He said, what if you had a cow? He said, absolutely. I, I'd give a cow if I had a cow. He said, what about a goat? He said, yeah, sure, I'd give a goat. He said, well, what about a pig? And he said, now, Pastor, that's not fair. You know I got a pig. <laughs> you see, that's personal, right? That is something you have. And all of us have resources. Now, none of us thinks probably we have as many as we need, right? All of us, like we talked about last week, we'd like to have a little more. Uh, everybody would. Uh, nobody's excluded from that probably, all right? But, but here's the deal. With what we have now, he wants us to learn to live generous lifestyles. And being able to trust God frees us up to live generously with our possessions, with our careers, with our, uh, with our knowledge and wisdom, with our time, uh, with, our, with our energy, all of those things we can steward in a good way and live a generous lifestyle with those things that we have right now. We don't have to wait till we get more to start doing this. If we learn to trust God like we need to, we can start doing that right now with what we have now. And many of you are. And I'm so thankful for that. Many uh, members of Lakeshore, people connected to our church family are living generously every day with what they have right now. That's such a blessing to the kingdom and the work of the kingdom. So what I want to do today is look at a contrast between the guy in this story that Jesus says is a fool, uh, even though he's rich. And I want us to contrast his life in this story to the life of those who belong to the early church. In Acts uh, chapter 2, in the next few chapters there, we see in a, a, a record of those who first came to Christ uh, were added to the church. This is the beginning of the church, and it's recorded for us there in the book of Acts. And, and we see how being committed to Christ dramatically changed how they lived their lives and looked at their possessions in a totally different way because of their relationship with Christ. So, so we're going to look back and forth between this story in Luke 12 and then the church in the early chapters of the book of Acts, okay, and see the difference that Christ can make in thinking and living generously. One of the first things we see that contrasts between the two is a willingness to connect with others, a willingness to connect with others. That's the first thing on your outline today. Notice in this story that Jesus tells, this rich farmer, let's look at the words again. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. This is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and I will store my surplus grain, and I will say to myself, you've got plenty. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. Is there any thought of anybody else in that story? No. Now, it's not bad that he's got barns already full. That's a blessing. And it's not bad that he even has the ability to build bigger barns if he wants to. That's what a blessing to be in that position, right? What a thing you should praise God for. And not only does he not mention anybody else, he doesn't mention God either. He doesn't thank God. He doesn't praise God. He doesn't say, oh, this is such a blessing from God. He never even brings it up. In his mind, he never connects where he's at in his life with a relationship with God or anybody else. 
You say, well, that's pretty bad, isn't it? It is. And certainly we don't think any of us are doing that, right? But think about our thought processes on a daily basis here when we're worried about you know, job security or getting that raise we want to get or just keeping a job or are we worried about paying that bill that we don't know how we're going to pay? Now, do we ever stop and think first on the front side of that, but I'm so thankful I've got a car I've got to make a payment on. There's so many that don't, right? Or I'm so thankful I do have a job to go to. There are people right now who, who don't have a job to go to. Or I'm so thankful I've got a husband or a wife or kids who love me and who are depending on me to, to help take care of them. What a blessing to have a family, you know, people that care about me in their lives, in my life. You see, we got to stop just thinking about us, right? It's, it's easy for Satan to twist things around in our thought process so that we get so focused on ourselves that even if we did get an extra blessing, we don't ever think, well, what can I do for somebody else with that? We just start thinking immediately, what can I do with what I just got now? And if you think about it, we all get unexpected blessings along the way. All of us do from time to time. A little extra money you didn't think you were going to get or a gift you didn't think you were going to get. Something happens and, and, and there's extra there that you had not planned on. And then there it is. And what's your first thought when you have that? Well, I can buy that shirt I wanted now. Or I can, I can get that thing that I wanted to get that I didn't think I was going to be able to. That's usually our first thought, isn't it? It's what I can do with that extra stuff, extra money, extra resource for me. And a generous lifestyle would not rule that out, but would also think, well, wait a minute, this is a good chance maybe to bless somebody else too. How could I maybe bless someone else in this situation? I want to look at the, at the early church over in Acts chapter 2. Uh, I want to start with verse 42 of Acts chapter 2. This is right after the first people that heard the gospel responded to it, and about 3,000 were baptized that day on the day of Pentecost after the resurrection of Jesus. Peter preaches the first gospel sermon. 3,000 people respond and are baptized into Christ. So now they moved from being outside of Christ to being in Christ to being disciples, followers of Christ. All right, They made that transition. And then in verse 42, we have like a summary verse there of how they started living their lives as Christ followers. And it mentions specific things that became a regular part of their lives because they connected to Christ. Listen to verse 42. They devoted themselves to these things. Now, being devoted to something's a big deal, right? It means you're giving your, your time and your energy. You're committed to it. This is priority for you in your life now. And, and what changed is these weren't the priorities before, but now because they've come to know Christ and they're following him, they're the things they're devoted to now have changed from what they were before. You see, before coming to Christ, we're devoted to different things, but it's supposed to change when we come to Christ and get committed to him. What we're devoted to is supposed to change then. Okay. Now, some of it may be the same, but we're devoted in a different way. Okay. Here, listen to what they were devoted to. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to breaking of bread, and to prayer. Now, we could read that today and not understand 
uh, all that it means. The, the apostles' teaching, of course, would be the apostles are right there then. They're teaching the teachings of Jesus Christ. What we now have in Scripture that we teach is the apostles' teaching. So they were devoting themselves to listening and learning what Jesus Christ was teaching through the apostles there, okay? Something we ought to be devoted to if we're followers of Jesus is the apostles' teaching. It says they were devoted to... Uh, uh, fellowship, I'll come back to that, to the breaking of bread. Every Lord's Day, what do we do at Lakeshore? We come around the Lord's table, right? That's what they're talking about here. They devoted to having that memorial meal to remember what Jesus had done for them on the cross. They were, de- they were committed to that, devoted to that. So that involves their time and their energy, the planning of their lives to make that a priority, right? To be around that table. That, that was something they, that changed for them. Now they're devoted to that. And it says to prayer, now, it doesn't mean they didn't pray before, but now they're praying differently because they're praying in and through Jesus Christ, and, and the Spirit is now there for them to, to guide them and, and intercede for them at the throne of the Father. They have the Holy Spirit of God in them. So now as they pray, it is powerfully affected by the presence of the Spirit and, and the presentation of the Spirit to the throne of God on our behalf. Powerfully different, Okay. So, so all those things changed. But I want to go back to the word fellowship. They were devoted to fellowship. And, and we could read that today and not understand what that means. That means fellowship means share at its root. They were now devoted to sharing life with others who were followers of Jesus too. We miss that a lot in the church today because we think Church is about attending something and leaving something, right? We go to church, and then after the service is over, we leave the church and go back to our lives as if they're two separate things. The early church wasn't that way. When they came to Christ, they also, and they committed to Christ, they also committed themselves to each other in Christ to do life together now as co-followers of Christ. At Lakeshore, we've got a mission statement, vision statement, whatever you want to call it. They're one and the same in my book. But here's what it says. Lakeshore exists to connect people to Christ and each other, to grow people to maturity in Christ, and to serve people in the name of Christ. That's our mission. That's our vision as a church. You see, we don't just call people to connect to Christ. When you connect to Christ, guess what automatically happens in the kingdom? You automatically are connected to each other too. That's the way it's supposed to work. That's what it means to be connected to Christ, is to be connected to each other when you connect to Christ. Because I'm in Christ. If you are in Christ, I'm connected to you through Christ. And you're connected to anybody else who's connected to Christ. It's Christ who makes the connection. We don't get to choose that. It's automatic in Christ. You know, sometimes we'd like to think I can choose who I'm going to connect with, right? I get to pick the ones I like, the ones I don't like, I don't have to be connected to, right? I can kind of avoid that connection, don't have to be part of that connection, don't look at anybody in the room, don't punch anybody, all right? We understand in Christ, we're all connected to each other. Now, now why that's important is this. The rich fool in the story didn't see himself as connected to anybody else like that. But we should be different. We shouldn't be foolish like that. We should understand 
that if we claim to be Christ followers, we cannot separate ourselves out and look at decisions we've got to make about time or talent or resources cannot be made in this vacuum of thinking it's all about us. It's not. Why? Because we're connected to each other. That's why. So how we choose to be stewards of those things that God blesses us with, those decisions have to be made in light of the responsibility we have to each other in the body of Christ. I have to think about, well, with what God's given me, how can I be a blessing to the body of Christ with what he's given me? How can I impact it in a good way? When I say the body of Christ, I mean you and you and you and everybody that's connected to Christ. This is the body of Christ. We are all connected in the body of Christ. So the rich ruler didn't think about that. Well, look at how that affected the early church. Turn over to Acts 4. Let's look here. You see, they didn't just say we're devoted to fellowship. They lived it out. In Acts 4, beginning with verse 34. It says, there were no needy persons among them. From time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet. It was distributed to anyone who had need. Now, I'm just pulling that one verse out. It's not the only verse we need to look at. There's a whole bunch of verses like that. If you read through the book of Acts and see the life of the early church. When those people made the decision to commit to Christ. It was almost exclusively a Jewish audience on the day of Pentecost, those 3,000 that were baptized and were added to the church, almost all Jews, okay, who made that decision. When those Jews made that decision, it changed everything for them. And here's what happened. Many of them, their families cut them off completely when they did that. They felt like they were forsaking the family faith when they decided to convert from Judaism to Christianity. Many of them worked, most of them would have worked for Jewish bosses who many of them would fire them because they connected that with a forsaking of the faith, right? They would lose their jobs when they converted from Judaism to Christianity. There were no programs in place like we have in our country today, where they could go get benefits or go get help. There was no Social Security. There was no welfare. There was no program like that in place at all for those early Christians to fall back on. But because they were devoted to Christ and that connected them to being devoted to each other, what did they start doing for each other? They started taking care of each other. They started making sacrifices Financially and other ways, life changes. They made a lot of sacrifices. To be sure, nobody went without their basic needs being met in the church family. One of the things that so impressed the non-Christian world about the early church, and it's recorded in Scripture, is this. They said things like, my, how they love one another. That was impressive. That made Christ attractive to the world when they saw how his followers loved each other. You see, that connection to each other, that is the fellowship that we become part of when we commit to Christ. We can no longer live as if we're in this vacuum where it's just us and God. A lot of people say, well, yeah, you can't talk about religion. That's just too personal, right? 
No, you don't talk about religion or what else? Politics. I knew you would do it that way, right? Some of you haven't listened to at least half of that, I know. All right. Here's the deal. <laughs> right now, especially. But here's the deal. Here's the deal. The reason they're saying that is because they're thinking my religion is just between me and God. That's what drives that thought process. It's just personal between me and God. And if you read anything at all in the New Testament about Christianity, it was never just about the individual and God, ever. That's not how it works. It was never intended to work that way. When I connect to him through his son, Jesus, then I automatically, by God's plan, am supposed to be connected to everybody else that's connected to him through Jesus too. I cannot make my decisions in isolation that it's just between me and God. It's not. I have a responsibility. In fact, an opportunity. I don't want to look at it just like it's an obligation here. We have an opportunity to bless each other because of our common connection in Christ. So that no one goes without needs being met. And that's not just money. That's not all it's talking about. But, but that's part of it too. And here's how the early church did it. They followed a pattern that God had established under the old covenant. And in the old covenant, what they did was they took a portion of everything they were blessed with and they brought it to the storehouse of the temple or the tabernacle, depending on the time period. And they, they brought it there and then the priest distributed it to those who had needs to take care of those needs. That's the process they went through. So you see that pattern already in the early church where people who had land they could sell or a house they could sell or, or, or special ways they could get income, they would do that and they would bring the proceeds and bring it to the apostles. The, the, they were still under the oversight right now uh, directly of the apostles. So they would bring it to the apostles and the apostles then would guide and direct how those funds were distributed to take care of the needs that were out there. You see the process? And then as the church grew and more congregations were established, then they appointed elders to oversee those congregations. And the members brought their contributions. And then the elders oversaw the distribution of those things to make sure the needs were taken care of. That's how the early church functioned. Now, we're supposed to follow the pattern of the early church. We're not supposed to create our own pattern. It's not our church. It's his. And so the pattern that we follow here is all of us, with whatever we're blessed with, if we have the opportunity, we bring it and we put it into the, the storehouse of the offerings that are collected, and then those funds are distributed and used to meet the needs of the work of the kingdom. It's a great system because here's the thing. It is the most uh, system of equality I think you could possibly have. If you don't have anything, what can you bring? And if you have a little bit, you can bring a portion of a little bit. And if you have a lot, you can bring a portion of a lot. But all of that put together meets the needs. And God says that's, that's what's going to have the ability then to bless not only the church, but here's what it's going to do like it did for the early church. It's going to cause those outside the church to say, my, how they love one another in Christ. And it's going to bring a good reputation to Christ and his people and his church.
You see how God works through all of that if we understand how we are connected to each other. Now, I want to brag for just a moment. I want you to know as a pastor, I don't ever look at who gives what amount. I just, I, I could see that obviously, but I choose not to. I don't want that to have any influence on me at all and how I relate to anybody else. So I never look at how much anybody gives. But I do look at the giving and how, you know, when people do certain things, I don't know who it is and I don't know how much it was, but I know somebody did this. And here's what we've had happen even during the time of the pandemic. Remember back when we got stimulus checks from the government? It was, what, $1,200 or depending on your family, you could have gotten more than that, uh, you know, depending on how many kids and all that, whatever amount you got. Some people in our church family said, well, this was money we weren't planning on. It wasn't part of our budget. You know what God's given us an opportunity to do? Bless the church family. Help meet some needs in the church family. Some people brought a portion of the stimulus check and gave it, like a tithe of it. Some people brought the whole deal because it was money they weren't planning on accounting on anyway. They hadn't budgeted to have that, and now it was just extra if they stuck to their budget. Some people, of course, went out and bought something, but others, <laughs> others saw an opportunity to bless other people. And it was important because during that time, the offerings had dropped a lot, right? We had to shut down the building, and we weren't able to have church like normal. And uh, so, so there weren't as many people giving consistently as much as they were before. And, and, and they, people were scared, and they were pulling back. But other people saw that. What an opportunity to bless some other people. We had some other people that uh, uh, one family, they had been pray, asking us to pray with them. They were expecting to get this settlement from an insurance thing. And they said, if we do, we want to make a gift to the church. And, and it came through and they were true to their word. And they gave a big one lump sum gift based on that settlement that they got. Now, what would a lot of people do with a settlement like that? I can go buy that car, right? I can go do that, right? But, but this person thought, wow, what an opportunity. This is extra money that I wouldn't have had. God's given me a chance to make a difference in the church. We had another family where there was a death in the family, and that's a sad thing, but they got some insurance money, right, from the death, life insurance. They immediately thought, I want to give first to the church out of that. Right? You see how the mindset is different when you're connected to the fellowship the right way? Your first thought is not about, I'm just going to build bigger barns and put more back for me. Your first thought might just be, well, man, I want to honor God with this. How can I bless some other people with this? We had people who, uh, who right now are asking us to pray about, and they told me this. I'm not going to share their name, but I know who this is because they came to me and, and we prayed together about it. They've got some land that's up for sale right now that they think they're going to make a, a good bit on. And they said, pray that we can do this because we want to bless the church with this if we can sell this land. Isn't that amazing? They're not just thinking about how that can bless them. They're thinking about how we can bless the church, the fellowship that we're connected to in the body of Christ. So it's got to start with rethinking our lives and stop thinking of ourselves in isolation and understand God's plan is for us to be connected in the fellowship to each other. And being connected means we share our lives with each other. It also means if you've got a legitimate need where there's legitimate loss and struggle, we want to be there as part of the fellowship for you and help with those things at those times. But we can only do that if other people have said, but I want to give and support the fellowship, right? 
That's, what, that's the resource we have to help people with. We want to help as many as we can, but we can only do it from the resources. I love how so many people will say, like, the church ought to do this, and the church ought to do that, and they ought to give to this. Well, guess where the money comes from? From the fellowship, from the people that contribute. That's the only way we can do those things is from people understanding that connection and being generous as a part of the fellowship. Uh, some of you may get, uh, this year may be different, but some of you may get a Christmas bonus coming up, right? Have you already got it spent? You think you're getting it? You're already planned how you're going to spend it? Maybe you want to rethink, well, wait a minute. I still might could do something for myself, but couldn't I also bless the fellowship out of that? Couldn't I make a difference to meet some of the needs that are out there with that bonus? So, so just think differently about the connection. The second step that I saw the early church take that this guy didn't take is they learned to tighten their belt. Tightening the belt's not fun, especially during the pandemic when you're gaining weight, right? But, but tightening your belt can make it possible to be more generous. Remember the, the rich farmer? He said to himself, you've got plenty of grain laid up for many years, Take life easy. And then what did he say? Eat, drink, and be merry. Does that sound like he's going to tighten his belt at all? No. Does that sound like he's going to cut back a little bit so he can do good things with that money? No. That didn't even cross his mind to think that way. But remember in Acts 2, those people, it says in verse 45 again, they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. See, they, they had land and possessions, and they could have taken the money. They didn't even have to sell it, first of all. But when they did, they could have kept all the money. But instead of keeping all the money, they decided, I can live where I'm at now budget-wise. I don't have to have that, so I can help some other people here. I can tighten my belt a little and bless some other people. You can't be selfish and do that. It's a different lifestyle. It's a different mindset when you have the opportunity to do something like that. Remember it says they sold uh, own uh, land or houses. They sold those and, and brought the money to the apostles' feet and they distributed it as they had, really, uh, had the needs there. Uh, that's tightening your belt. When there's opportunity to say, well, I can make this adjustment. adjustment. Uh, we have people that have decided along the way uh, here at Lakeshore over the years that they were going to downsize instead of more, right? Uh, they could sell the bigger house that they'd been living in. They could, they could make some adjustments. They could downsize. And, and some of them have said, because we can do that, that will free us up to be able to give more when we downsize. But most of us are thinking, just a little more, just a little more. Then I'll be generous. Then I'll do that, right? And they're thinking, how can I even downsize and free up more, more margin there in the budget? to be more generous than I was before. That's the difference in learning the standing, being connected to the fellowship and the responsibility we have to meet needs within the fellowship as God allows us the ability to do that. So being able to tighten your belt may mean, well, you just don't go out to eat as much so you can give, right? Our, our culture, going out to eat before the pandemic, and now it's changed during the pandemic, of course, uh, uh, Suanne and I went out to eat with some friends last night. And that was only the second time during the whole pandemic we've been out to eat for something like that. So, so it's changed, right, during the pandemic. But before the pandemic, 
the average American family was eating out four or five times a week. Now, I don't mean going to a restaurant every time. I mean running through the drive-thru at the fast food place, right? Picking up a meal somewhere and taking it home. Uh, when I say going out, I just meant they, they, they paid for a meal from somewhere else, right? That is a regular part of how people were living. Can you imagine the difference it can make in your budget if you actually shopped wisely, bought groceries, and prepared meals at home? How much money you could save doing that? You say, no, you wouldn't save any money. All the studies indicate you would save a lot of money if you didn't eat out so much. All, now, that means you still got a smart shop, right? Uh, uh, shop smart and, and, and prepare meals at home. You got to be willing to do that. But when you do that, you can save a lot of money. Maybe that's a step you could take and be able to free up some money to give more generously to others, help out some other people. It may mean you drive that old car a little bit longer because you got it paid for and you thought, well, as soon as I get it paid for, I'm going to go buy another one. Well, maybe if it's still dependable enough, you can do a little work on it and just keep driving it for a while and not have that payment added into your budget again, right? I like the Dave Ramsey car plan, right? You get it paid for, drive it till it drops, right? <laughs> just do the best you can for a while. We've done that many times. The last car uh, that, that we got, I had driven that car for 16 years, I think, before I bought another one. But it was dependable. It kept going, so I kept driving it. I'm not saying that to brag on me. I'm saying we can make some choices, right? We don't have to go get a new car just because we got one paid for and it's getting a little older. You see, when you're connected in the fellowship, you don't just think in isolation, this is just between me and God, and I'm going to take care of me. You start thinking, as part of the fellowship, how can I bless the fellowship a little bit more? Well, it, it can be a lot of other ways you tighten your belt. There's, there's so many choices we can make there to tighten that belt. And you say, well, I can't tighten my belt anymore. I've cut back everywhere I can. And if that's true, great. God bless you. If you can't, I mean, you can only tighten so much, right? You can only cut out so much, and that's okay. At least you know you've done that. And now you're working toward becoming more generous. One of the best ways you can start tightening your belt is to get debt paid off. I really want to encourage you to do that. Uh, we've got a guy here in the church that's planning after the first of the year. We hope to offer a financial peace university again. We're going to do it virtually online. And I, I encourage you, if you're struggling with debt, it's a great plan to go through. It's not the only good one out there. There are other good ones too, but that's a good one. And you may want to go through that and learn how to just eliminate debt in your life. Because here's the deal. When you can eliminate debt, it just really frees you up to be more generous. Because I think a lot of people want to be generous and you feel like you can't because of the bills, because of the debt. But if you could get rid of debt, it could really free you up. And you may have to tighten the belt short term. You get the debts paid off and you have extra to be generous with and bless other people with. So, so be creative and think about ways you could tighten your belt and, and free up some opportunity there. And then the third step that the early church, church took that this guy didn't take is to relinquish ownership of what you have. Relinquish ownership. And again, that's a mindset thing. We talk about it this way. It's my house. It's my car. It's my job. It's my money. It's my family. It's my kids. But who does all of that really belong to? It really all belongs to God. It's all his. And if we could change the mindset to stop thinking my, 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 
and start realizing it belongs to others. You remember the story. This is, this is an old, 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 old joke. But the guy that, that went into a, a hotel to check in, and there was a dog there in the lobby just yapping at the guy as he was trying to check in. And the guy asked the guy, uh, one behind the counter, does your dog bite? And the guy says, no, my dog doesn't bite. And then that dog jumped over there and bit him on the leg. He said, I thought you said your dog doesn't bite. He said, it's not my dog. Relinquish ownership, right? That stuff is not your stuff. It's God's. He's allowed you to have it in your possession for a while. And he wants you to manage it well. Look at verse uh, Luke 12 again. This guy, he thought to himself, what shall I do, right? I have no place to store. What did he say? My crops, my barns, my stuff. It's, it's my, my, my. He never once thought this is really... It really belongs to God. But you know what? When he died, who did it belong to? It didn't belong to him anymore, did it? He couldn't do anything with it anymore. The truth is it was never his to start with. And the truth is what you have right now, what I have right now, it's not ours to start with. It's God's. And when we realize it's his, then what it does is it puts us in the position of not acting like an owner, but acting like a manager. Acting like we're managing what belongs to somebody else the way he would want it to be managed. And that changes the whole perspective. Look at Acts 2 again, verse 44. It says, listen, all the believers were together, this is the early church, and had everything in common. Now, some people misuse that verse to say, well, it was like a, a commune, right? It was like a communist approach. That's not what this verse is talking about. That's not what any of these verses are talking about. This is a choice they made to have things in common. This was not the government making them do it. This is not even God making them do it. This is them choosing voluntarily to be there for each other and to help each other, okay? That's totally different than communism, totally different than communism. So don't get it mixed up. But it is a good thing. Look at Acts 4, verse 32. It says, all the believers were one in heart and mind. And then listen to this statement. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. None of them claimed any of their possessions was their own. And they're not saying it was yours and it's yours. That's not what they're saying. They're saying it's God's. It's not mine. It's his. And this is God's church, and these are God's people, and we're connected to each other in the fellowship. So let's use God's possessions to take care of each other. Let's make sure needs are met. Let's make sure people are blessed. Let's make sure we are the witness to the, those outside the church that we need to be with how we love one another in the church. What a great way to change the world, to impact the world in a positive way. Now, why should we take those steps? It's because we serve a God who's the greatest giver of all time. We serve a God who withheld nothing from us who willingly, sacrificially, because... It, you see, if you want to know what is an example of what it means to love and how that's connected to giving, just look to God and His willingness to give to you and to me because of how He loves us. In uh, 2 Corinthians 8 and verse 9, it says this, For you know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor, so that through His poverty so that you through his poverty might become rich. Jesus Christ was willing to empty himself and give everything 
become poor in every way so that we could become wealthy beyond any imagination through our blessings that we have in Christ. That's the example of God being connected to us in that way in love and being willing to sacrifice for us. Let's pray together. Father, Father, we know that your example of love and giving and the example of the early church and being connected to each other in such a beautiful way, that's how you want your people to be today. You want us to be that loving, that generous, that have that awareness of our connection through the fellowship that we have in Christ. And Father, we know that you love us so much, you promise you'll take care of us, but you want us to be that example of what it means to live generously. Thank you for setting that example for us through Jesus, in whose name we pray, amen.